Welcome to the Not Old Better Show author interview series on radio and podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Archives.com. Archives.com is your one-stop shop for access to more than 11 billion records essential to family history. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and for all of us in the Not Old Better Show audience who think about our diet, worry about our diet, and spend too much time thinking about what we eat, today's guest will help us with those subjects and give us hope about how we can address diet, wellness, and exercise. Thank you so much for listening. We have got a great guest today whom I will introduce in just a moment. But quickly, if you missed any of our episodes, last week was our 666th episode, and we spoke to Smithsonian Associate and host of the popular PBS series Bare Feet with Michaela Malazzi. Check out that interview with Michaela Malazzi. Two weeks ago, I spoke with author, inspiring speaker, and writer Cynthia Covey Haller about her new book written with her father, Stephen R. Covey. The title of the book is Live Life in Crescendo. These are great interviews, wonderful stuff. If you miss those shows, you can go back and check them out along with my entire back catalog of shows, all free for you there on our website, notold-better.com. And if you leave a review, we'll read it. At the end of each show, I've got one today for you, but please leave reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. Eat like a pig, run like a horse, how food fights hijacked our health and the new science of exercise. That is a great title. It's also a great title to a great new book by our guest today, Anastasia Marks de Salcedo. Eat like a pig, run like a horse takes us on this fascinating journey that weaves together true confessions from our author, Anastasia Marks de Salcido, mad scientists, and beguiling animal stories. Anastasia Marks de Salcido shows that we need to move beyond our current diet-focused model to a new dynamic concept of metabolism as regulated by exercise. We talk about this a lot on the Not Old Better Show, how important exercise is. Well, suddenly, the answer to good health is almost embarrassingly simple. Don't worry so much about what you eat. Worry about how much you move. And moving can overcome, even overwhelm, the most disgusting conditions. I looked everywhere but couldn't find it. By process of elimination, personal care, no. Vitamins, no. Home health care, I don't think so. Baby and child, maybe. It had to be here in first aid. I scoured the shelves. Nothing. It was 11 p.m. I was in dirty sweats, the first thing that had come to hand. Crap, crap, crap. I was going to have to ask. Slouching, I made my way to the disapproving woman with the bindi stocking shelves. Excuse me, um, could you tell me where the pinworm medicine is? I felt her mentally jump back a yard. First aid, bottom shelf, next to the lice treatment, she said coldly. I flinched. Unfortunately, I was intimately familiar with that too. I returned, squatted, and peered into the bottom shelf. There, pushed out of view, were a couple green and white boxes of Reese's pinworm medicine with for the entire family, emblazoned across a pop-out yellow stripe. I cleaned out their entire stock of three, paid without meeting the cashier's eye, and sped home. 
Less than an hour had passed since after showering and putting on her pajamas, Mariela had said to me, Mama, my butt is itchy. But I knew, even without the recommended home evaluation, which calls for getting up in the dead of night, shining a flashlight on your child's anus, and looking for tiny ladyworms releasing clouds of microscopic eggs, exactly what was wrong and what to do about it. Everyone line up. Deworming time. That, of course, is our guest today, author Anastasia Marks de Salcido, reading from her excellent new book, Eat Like a Pig, Run Like a Horse, How Food Fights Hijacked Our Health and the New Science of Exercise. Join us as we discuss Anastasia Marks de Salcedo's new book. We'll discuss deworming <laughs> and the fact that there is no magic pill. There is no perfect diet. We'll answer the question, could it be that our underlying assumption that what we're eating is making us fat and sick is just plain wrong. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast, author and science writer Anastasia Marks de Salcedo. Anastasia Marks de Salcedo, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. It's so great to talk to you. Um, you're a very well-known author. You have written this wonderful new book that uh, we're going to talk quite a bit about. I love the title, Eat Like a Pig, Run Like a Horse, How Food Fights Hijacked Our Health and the New Science of Exercise. I'm a real exercise person um, and just think it does so much for me and, and for everybody. I haven't had any real health scares in my life. And at 65, I'm, I'm grateful for, for all of that. Perhaps my exercise routines have, have kind of staved off some of that. But in your book, again, Eat Like a Pig, Run Like a Horse, you look at human metabolism, you look at human health, you look at disease, and you do, you do this all through the lens of animals. And the chapters are all very cleverly divided that way. I've got a copy of your book here in my hand. But really, it was your own health experience that started all this interest, at least with this book. And so I wonder if you'd tell us about your own medical miracle and how the research bas backs up your own experience. Um, sure, yeah. Uh, well, my my medical miracle, of course, starts with <laughs> um, a medical, I don't want to say a disaster, but, but certainly an, a very uh, upsetting event, which was uh, in my 20s, when I was doing the things that all 20-year-olds uh, do, you know, discovering myself professionally and um, uh, personally, uh, I had a episode um, right in my first job after college when I was doing research at a university um, where I woke up one morning and my, uh, my right hand was numb. I know at the time, because I was a researcher, I spent a lot of time on my computer. I, you know, I was always pounding the keyboard. So I said, oh, I, I have a, a little bit of carpal tunnel syndrome and I didn't pay much attention. Um, but then the next day, the rest of that side of my body went numb and also became uh, very weak. And I was unable to grasp things or walk well. Um, and so, of course, you know, I got medical attention, and uh, this was during the very early 90s uh, when we didn't have even um, the MRI as a diagnostic tool. So I saw a neurologist, and the neuro neurologist told me, well, it could be three, three, three things. It could be an anomaly. 
It could be a brain tumor or it could be MS. Um, three years later, I sort of, so after that, it kind of really exploded my life. Um, and <laughs> I made a lot of changes. I kind of felt like I might not have as much time as, you know, I, as other people. And so I wanted to make sure that I, I was adventurous and tried new things. So I ended up sort of in, I think the short, <laughs> the short way to describe it would be run away to South America. Um, and, but then three years later, I woke up in, the, in South America, in Quito, Ecuador, and the same thing had happened on the left side of my body. Um, and at that point, there were MRIs. And so I was able to organize one of the very first ones there in, the, in Clinica Pichincha. And when we went back for the results, I found out um, that I had multiple sclerosis. So, um, that was, of course, you know, I, I did, I exercised at that time, but I swim um, sort of sporadically and I walked. Um, and then over the next sort of, I think, six to 10, six years, I had uh, a number of other episodes, none as, as um, you know, as strong as the first two, but I would lose sensation in a leg um, or uh, in the bottom of my foot. And... I was also sort of, you know, going through life and, you know, changing careers a little bit and starting a family. Um, and so then during my uh, my second pregnancy, I was and I was in terms of exercise, I was just swimming and which was fine. I um, had an I had an episode of projectile vomiting. <laughs> because of the morning sickness and I accidentally wrenched one of my shoulders and so I couldn't then swim. So I started to do some very gentle uh, running because I was pregnant and I didn't want to bounce up too, uh, up and down too much. Um, and then I just continued after the baby was born. And um, after a while, I noticed that I stopped having any MS exacerbations. Um, so I, you know, I was like, well, what's going on here? But, you know, I'm not going to examine this too closely. But then I, I, I think in one of my neurology appointments, I told my neurologist about it and he said, oh yeah, you know, there, there's some new, um, evidence showing that exercise may be as, um, as, as powerful as some of these new, you know, at that point, new interferon treatments for MS. Um, and it, you know, that may be what's keeping you from progressing. And so I kind of have lived with not looking at that too closely, but maintaining my running. And then um, I'm getting a little more confident. I finally turned my attention to what is it that's keeping me in such good shape after 30 years of living with multiple sclerosis? Um, and I have wrote about it, at the, my, my journey of discovery mm -hmm. um, in this book. When the doctor first talked to you about the possibility that exercise could help, you know, blunt or, you know, aid in the management of the MS, did, did you buy it? Did you... Were you at that point so completely consumed by all of this that you just thought, boy, anything, I've got to try anything? Did you look at diet during those moments? 
Well, I I, uh, I never really looked at diet. Um, there have been a couple uh, sort of diet, MS diet programs that are, are probably pretty similar to um, the Mediterranean diet, kind of high in, in vegetable fats, high in vegetables. But if I was, I've kind of always eaten, I'd say, a relatively healthy diet. So it didn't really seem to me to, to be something that would be worthwhile. And um in in addition, I I and I said this is kind of part of the theme of the book is that I you know once I had it sort of in a in a in a state where things were not didn't seem to be cr- progressing, I tried not to think about it very much um, because I didn't want it to interfere with my life. Yeah, of course. Um, so in addition to MS, what is what does the research say about other diseases that you can treat and manage and and even prevent? with exercise oh dear that that is a very long list oh so Uh good well that's um, good (laughs) yeah and uh so of course exercise uh extends your lifespan it increases your quality of life it reduces your chances of disabilities it improves your physical appearance not um to be dismissed it prevents obesity and if you're already obese it helps you be healthy It prevents all cardiovascular and a lot of metabolic diseases and treats many of them, including coronary heart disease, metabolic syndrome, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, high cholesterol. (laughs) Do you want me to go on? Deep vein thrombosis, (laughs) sleep apnea, and stroke. (laughs) Um, It improves (laughs) cognitive function. It improves mental health. It reduces insomnia. It prevents dementia. It helps treat depression and anxiety. It improves bone and joint health. It alleviates back and joint pain. It prevents erectile dysfunction. It increases libido. It supports continuous sexual activity as we age. Um, it helps during pregnancy. Uh, it prevents colon, breast, and endometrial cancers. It helps control asthma. It helps reduce chronic pain. And it, it just boosts goes on autoimmune on. function. <laughs> And it really – it's the kind of thing that you would think everybody would just seize upon. But you you also write about this other condition that we're suffering from and, and perhaps many in our audience but certainly among younger generation, this love of screens as you call it. It, it, contr- it just contributes to our being sedentary and, and that regardless of what the data shows, we're just not getting up enough. We're not – getting out there enough. And so maybe tell us a little bit about what you mean about this love of screens yeah. that contributes to so much. <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting. It's sort of the love of screens on top of two really uh, major lifestyle changes which happened over the 20th century. Um, and really when you think about all these, these issues, they have to do with machines. But the first one um, is the automobile, which um, reduced our um, use of our own bodies to get around and do exercise and transportation and so forth. Um, the second is, um, you know, jobs that use machines. So moving, um, so you're not, you know, using your body on the factory floor or in, you know, on the farm and you're, you're sitting on a tractor rather than doing hoeing and so forth. Um, and, and then finally... That combined with um, the introduction of screens into our life has made us so sedentary. Um, of course, as you know, like the first screen was now was the 50s. Um, 
it is really when they began to appear, televisions began to appear in people's homes. Um, and we began to watch an increasing amount of programming. Um, and then in sort of the late 70s and early 80s, there was a sort of appearance of video games, um, home videos, all sorts of things which kind of increased our attachment to the screen as well as personal computers. Um, and so the, it's just that like the screens begin to multiply in our lives. Um, and then, of course, after the personal computer, we have um, the phone. And so we've gotten into a state where and and really my day is like this too so i'm not i'm not um <laughs> you know scolding <laughs> no. anyone here but yeah, you know yeah. i wake up i look at my phone um then i do a bunch of stuff and then what do i do i sit down at the computer um then um you know i'm kind of in and out of my phone all day uh and then maybe when i'm relaxing i'm watching um either watching something, i'm st streaming on like, on my laptop or my phone or i'm watching on tv and so these screens are just kind of we're kind of moved from screen to screen throughout our daily lives. And sometimes we're even using them all at once. Um, it's very common, for example, for people to like be on their phones, have their I, I, I can see my kids sometimes have they're on their phones. They've got their laptop and they're watching TV all at the same time. So um, this has made, a, you know, I think uh, we I said it in the book, I think it's 10 hours of screen time per day and there's barely any time left for anything else. And that has a terrible effect on our, our health because we, like all other animals, are made to move. And so we are not doing the thing that our bodies are designed for. And this, this role of, of vigorous exercise it does seem like a no-brainer, especially when you um, factor in this sedentary lifestyle that so many of us have, have adopted. The other thing that has always been kind of considered a no-brainer is that there is this fault in our food. And in Chapter 3, which is actually titled, The Fault Isn't in Our Food, I really – I thought that was a, a breakthrough chapter and one that I'd like you to just talk about for just a second because – we all have had this notion for so long that processed foods are to blame, that all of this uh, sugar, uh, uh, you know, the the flour that isn't uh, a whole wheat grain-oriented flour contributes to these illnesses that we face. But that isn't the case. And and I really thought that was an interesting chapter. Maybe describe that a little bit. The fault isn't in our food. Yeah. Um. So what I'm trying to say there is that once you have uh, met your nutritional needs, I'm not denying that there are nutritional needs here. You know, and that means we want to um, meet a certain amount of of uh, protein and fat and yes, carbohydrates. Um vitamins and minerals in our diet. Once we've met that need, you know, having a special diet above that, and there's so many of them, um, you know, from keto and paleo and, and um, uh, you know, no, uh, uh, you know, low, low uh, gluten and, um, you know, low Carb fat or carb-free, yeah. uh, everything. Um, yeah. Once these particular special approaches aren't going to 
give you any new nutritional um, benefit. Because, and, and part of it has to do with, and it's funny, I was thinking about this, Paul, before our conversation. I think part of it, this has to do with an American and probably also a worldwide sort of lack of understanding of the science of our body, <laughs> which is what are you doing when you eat? You um, take in you know, the food and then your it goes into your stomach and your stomach breaks it down into a bunch of um, sort of uh, building blocks and it and then absorbs either passively or actively, passively just kind of going through the stomach wall or actively with little transporters, um, you know, the vitamins and, and the minerals. And then that goes into your bloodstream and then your body reassembles those building blocks um, into the materials that it needs. But once that happens and it's circulating, how, you know, there's not too much further that it can do to, to add to your health. And where that health is really happening is at the cellular level and very specifically um, in your mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cell and it's where energy is created. And having healthy mitochondria is really the key to overall health. Hi, this is Paul. We will be right back with author Anastasia Marks de Salcedo about her new book, Eat Like a Pig, Run Like a Horse. But you're going to want to stay tuned for this because we are going to talk about how food fights have hijacked our health and the new science of exercise. But I want to mention our sponsor today, archives.com. Uncovering your family's history is simple and affordable at archives.com. Their tools are easy to use, but behind the scenes, powerful technology delivers valuable results. Archives.com is your one-stop shop for access to more than 11 billion records essential to family history. They have birth, marriage, and death certificates, as well as census and military records, newspapers, photos, and family trees. You can also take advantage of their online collection of 20,000 rare volumes of family and local history books. These unique records, paired with their other extensive collections, help you connect with your ancestors. They forge strong partnerships to bring you exclusive content and are constantly adding new records to their collections to make new discoveries possible. Find out why family historians trust archives.com to make family history easy and intuitive. Start a free trial today and see what's available at archives.com. They'll put family history at your fingertips. We are back with Anastasia Marks de Salcedo, author of the new book, Eat Like a Pig, Run Like a Horse. I love that title. The subtitle is How Food Fights Hijacked Our Health and the New Science of Exercise. And I want to talk for just a second with you Anastasia Marks de Salcido, about this idea of vigorous exercise. And so let's talk a little bit about this physical activity. Again, I use the word vigorous. You use the word vigorous physical activity. Tell us what vigorous physical activity really is defined by and, um, and what it does, you know, in terms of anti-inflammatory effects and, you know, some of these other dramatic health benefits, just like your own experience with MS. Yeah. Um, okay. So... 
So first of all, a vigorous physical activity be, would be one in which you get out of breath and, and get warm and maybe start to sweat. Um, in that process, what it those uh, are really signs that your metabolism is greatly uh, speeding up. So your circulation maybe will increase three to four times. Your caloric burn will increase four to eight times. Your metabolism. 10 times faster or more or and up to a, a hundred times faster. And the glucose going into your cells from your bloodstream increases by 50 times. So you're incredibly speeded up. Um, in that process, your, uh, your metabolism sort of shifts over from sort of a passive intake of like whatever's in your bloodstream to um, because its needs are so so defined in terms of energy production to really guiding what gets into the cells. So that really starts to shape um, how uh, things then get produced in the cell and the end some secondary effects of that. Um, so this the whole process, um, as I said, is centered around the mitochondria. And when you have when you speed up your mitochondria this way, um, it creates a lot of, one effect is that it creates a lot of heat. Um, and that heat, um, to deal with the, that heat, your body creates these special molecules um, that then linger on, there that are anti-inflammatory and are in the cells and help not only deal with the impact of this uh, intense physical activity, but then help deal with, uh, you know, viral infections for any other kinds of inflammation, inflammation related to disease processes, for example, such as MS. And I think that one of the things for me, it has been some, a, a, maybe a certain type of molecule I talk about in the book, which is called the heat shock molecule, which is produced again by physical activity. And this helps to like reduce inflammation in my body so that even if there is some sort of um, MS process going on that it's sort of dealt with in the moment and kept at a, a uh, manageable level. I'm 65 and, and I, I do love my exercise and, I, and I'm somebody who does sweat. I, you know, I get hot and sweaty. And so I wonder if you tell us a little bit about because some in my audience might think, oh my gosh, I you know I'm 65, I don't really have the same energy level. Maybe I maybe vigorous exercise to me is a little bit different than it might be. But the idea is to try to generate some of that heat. And I wonder if you'd tell us a little bit about what that might consist of for us, because and maybe even talk about your own physical routine too, because I know that you know from my research of you and then from what you've talked about with us today that you you. We're a swimmer. Maybe you, you still do swim, but you've also become a runner too. And that probably has helped generate this heat and create these special molecules and molecules and then really produce this heat shock. And I, I just think all of this is fascinating. So maybe tell us about what we can do to generate this, even if we're a little bit older. Absolutely. I mean, and let me say, uh, being older is no excuse, nor, and everybody should be physically active. And and I include uh, you know people who are um, mobility impaired, people who use all sorts of assistive devices. Anybody can be active. You can be active in a chair. 
Um, you need to find the activity that, that you can do. Um, so in the book, I, at the last chapter, I talk about an exercise diet. And, and the reason I talk about it that way is because I want people to think about it the way they think about a diet, which is I need to plan a meal and I need to have, you know, a certain, uh, so for me, the centerpiece of our diet is going to be some sort of, uh, aerobic physical activity, one that elevates your heart. For me, it's running, but you could do it bicycling. You could do it in a gym. Um, you know, there are different ways. So, but it, the important thing is that your heart rate get up and stay and um, can stay up for a, a you know prolonged period of time. I think 15, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, let's say. Um, so that's central. But then I also like to think about you know um, the other nu- exercise nutrients that you'll want. You want to have uh, exercise that builds strength. Um, you want to work on, uh, balance and flexibility. Um, so, you know, adding other tasks, sometimes that can be integrative, uh, exercise that is done, you know, done doing some sort of, of daily thing that such as, for example, I often, um, you know, could be, could be washing the floors or it could be gardening or could, uh, so forth. So, yeah. Um, so my, my plan is basically, um, uh, follows that, which is I run every day. I run, uh, about, I run three to four miles and then I do some other sort of, uh, planned physical activities. Sometimes I go for walks and occasional bike rides. I do, I dance. Um, right now I'm learning bachata. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then I also just think about it as, um, any opportunity during the day to move, I take it. And I have a little saying that I, um, use here at home. I say, when someone say, they say, oh, would you get this? And I say, okay, more exercise for me. And then, you know, going up and down the stairs another time, that's just a little more exercise. So I try and kind of keep that framework. Well, we so appreciate your time. Anastasia Marks de Salcedo has been our guest today. I just really have one final question. This kind of goes back to the to the MS time in your life. It, many of these diseases, uh, these illnesses, they can they can produce a real psychological uh, impact on us. I think post COVID, we're all kind of struggling with, you know, kind of maybe getting out there a little bit, maybe needing some structure in our lives, maybe diets per se offer some of that structure, but. What, what is the best long-term strategy that you have in dealing with a serious illness? Because how, how, did, how did you get past it in, in kind of overcoming the MS psychologically just to be able to get out there and exercise? Yeah, it's, a, um, it's interesting because I think uh, in retrospect, the book is about two approaches to, to dealing with a, um, a serious illness mine and and my mother's. And so I kind of am contrasting them a little bit in the book. My mother did not exercise and she had multiple medical conditions. Um, She spent a lot of time uh, being ill, worrying about being ill, being a little bit um, scared about it. That was a very hard experience for me since it started um, in childhood. Um, And so I sort of perhaps reacted against that in the way that I dealt with my own illness, which was that once I had sort of come to, you know, a a decision about how I was going to, you know, treat it and there wasn't really much available, then I I tried to put it out of my mind as as much as possible. 
Um, and I kind of, I've had always this idea that um, at the end, God doesn't make up for any sick days you took. So um, every day that you lose to your illness is a day you've lost. Um, at the end of the book, I think that those two approaches kind of um, come into conflict with a new diagnosis that I um, uh, am in the process of, of uh, uh, receiving. And perhaps I could come to a better balance there with maybe a little bit more attention to the illness while um, living my life to the fullest. Thank you for that. Um, well, we wish you the best and all the health to you. Anastasia Marks de Salcedo has been our guest today. We hope you come back and keep us updated about this subject. It, it's a great one for our audience, and um, I'd love to know more. And as you write additionally on these subjects and others, please uh, join us again. Anastasia Marks de Salcedo, author of the new book, Eat Like a Pig, Run Like a Horse, How Food Fights Hijacked Our Health and the New Science of Exercise. Uh, I just love this. I cannot recommend it enough. Thanks for sharing it with me too, Anastasia. And thank you for your time today, being so generous to read to us. And again, I'll just say it, uh, my best to you and your family, and do come back. Thank you so much, Paul. I really enjoyed it. Our review today is from Mabel Wheeler. It's dated September 28th, 2022, and Mabel Wheeler says, The Not All Better Show is a valuable show. The Not All Better Show is a very nice podcast. After a long time of searching, I heard an indescribably beautiful show. It felt very good, finally. Looking forward to presenting me with more beautiful episodes in the coming days. Thank you, Mabel. And my thanks to Anastasia Marks de Salcedo for her generous time today. Please check out our show notes for more details about Anastasia Marks de Salcedo's other books and information. My thanks, of course, to archives.com for sponsoring today's episode. Please check out our website for more details about archives.com because you can use archives.com for uncovering your family's history, which is simple and affordable at archives.com. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks again to Anastasia Marx de Salcedo for her generous time reading and answering all my questions. My thanks to you, my wonderful, not old, better show audience here on radio and podcast. Please be well and be safe, which I'm telling you each and every show followed by my message to eliminate assault rifles. Only members of the military need and use those weapons. Assault rifles are killing our children and grandchildren in the very places they learn, school. Let's do better. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next week.